This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got good friend Giannis Patelis, otherwise known as, I don't know what Renella calls you, the Latvian lover and um, among other things. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I want to know why every episode of the Meat Eater podcast, Renella has a new name for you. Is it just his way of... Uh, Saying how much he likes you. I, th- I was. That's what I was going to say. I think it's just uh, his way of uh, showing endearment. <laughs> you guys, I just got to see you guys not too long ago. Um, we were down in Sonora, Mexico, and um, before that, we did a podcast episode with the the Meat Eater podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, and um, that was kind of fun to sit down with Dar and you and Steve and chatted up a little bit yeah it was great and by the way we got a lot of good feedback from that podcast and a lot of people liked you know just just hearing all the different angles and opinions from having um so many great minds mine not included but so many great minds in the room you know and especially like on the um what would you do you know if you were squirrel what was it if you were squirrel hunting and then you found out some dude's got like a big buck you know, tag. Oh yeah. We were talking about the, uh, uh, the hunk, was it the, let's see, it was the chuckers and chuckers and deer hunting. And what would you do? Would you, yeah. you know, is one hunt more uh, valuable than the other, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you know, I read a lot of comments on that and you know, everybody's got valid points, but my best comment was, and this was a true story, a guy related that he had had a similar experience where, um, he was out, I think, hunting squirrels or something in a plot of woods and ran into a guy um, that was deer hunting. And the, the squirrel hunter apologized profusely, whatever. Well, the squirrel hunter had a kid with him. Well, the deer hunter was like, yeah, don't worry about it, whatever. Well, the deer hunter made a point to catch up to him, like at the trailhead or parking lot or whatever it was, and say, look, bro, you have a kid with you. He's like, I don't care what I was doing out there, what I was hunting, what was going on. Whatever you're doing out here with that kid is more important. And I thought that was just a, you know, it's hard to argue that one, you know. For sure, yeah. You know, I think getting kids involved is so important. And, um, you know, to hear that story where the deer hunter chases them down and says, you know, you've got a kid, you know, that's more important. That's pretty cool to hear. Um you know, I'm afraid that that's not probably going to be the response from all hunters. Um, but that was definitely an interesting conversation. Uh, and I want to encourage my podcast listeners, if you haven't listened to that Meat Eater episode, to do so. And um, also, Giannis, I want to give uh, the podcast listeners a little bit of an idea if they don't already know uh, how you and I know each other. Um my wife and I used to spend the summers in Vail, Colorado for, I believe, about five years. And um, 
now now we spend a lot of time in Carbondale, Colorado, but a lot of, of that spending time in Carbondale is because Giannis um, actually moved away, and um, Giannis, we were actually scheduled uh, to fish with uh, another guide, and uh, this this smiling, tall, long-legged uh, Latvian guy comes in and introduced himself as Giannis, and we were actually had pre-booked another guide that was going to take us floating down the river that day. And so we were kind of like, what the heck? You know, we, we special ordered somebody else that we'd fished with before and enjoyed fishing with. And and then after that, we uh, always wanted to fish with Giannis. So Giannis, um, how many miles do you think you floated in your career of, of being a fly fishing guide? Oh, man. I got to add a little before I answer that though I got to add a little bit to your story because okay. I think somehow I knew either the night before that uh the other guy was going to he had other I don't know if he was sick or if he had other clients that he had been you know that were older repeat clients which is why you guys got bumped off to the uh second tier to me and uh <laughs> but like I knew it was a golden opportunity for me and I was super stoked but very nervous cuz it was like I knew um, that I had some good sticks, you know, in the boat, but you know, when fishing guides say that they mean like they have people, anglers that can actually fish. And so it makes it nice as a guide because you're not doing as much, um, coaching and, you know, stopping people's back casts and, and, and fighting knots and, and tangles all day long. But you also have a lot more pressure at, you know, on you at that point, because, these people can fish. So now you can't like blame the fact that there's no fish being caught on, you know, wind knots and tangles and the flies not being in the water because they're, they're putting the flies where you're telling them they're fishing the right seam. So if they're not catching fish, it's on you, you know? So luckily we just put in, I think we fished a lower Eagle, um, on that first trip and, uh, it just happened to be on fire. And, um, so I looked like a pro and, um, I'd like, I want to give a little tip to all of, uh, perspective or like rookie type fly fishing guys out there. I was never like in the top uh, tier of fishiest guides. I could catch a few fish and kind of figure it out, but there was there were other guys that caught just exponentially more fish than I did. But my truck was always clean, and I was I felt like I was always polite, and especially polite to the wives. And because the wives always liked me, they would always talk the husbands into booking me again. So I got a lot of work from basically just having a clean truck and being like polite to the wives and like helping them out as much as I would um, Jay. So because I was nice to Jay's wife, I believe that's actually why I got rebooked. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that other than you're probably right in the fact that you do treat Jean well, and, um, you know, one story she always tells is a lot of times we'd be on the water, you know, at daylight or shortly thereafter because we'd want to be first boat down, and that's kind of uncommon in the guiding world to have the client want to be up and firing away early, but Giannis would always bring Jean a pillow in the back seat, so when we were going to and from the water, um, not to mention that he'd always have Jean's, you know, whatever food and whatever specialty little drinks or whatever she wanted, so... Definitely a good tip to guides out there. Uh, 
but I, I think you, you leave something out there. Uh, you know, you don't have a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and, you know, you're not spitting tobacco in the bottom of the boat. And um, <laughs> I've seen it all. And um, I think there's a level of professionalism with hunting guides and with fishing guides that, quite honestly, uh, I think the, the, the bar could be raised a bit more. And I think certainly guides out there in their younger years and even when they're, you know, their older years, I think there's there's professional guides and then there's guys that uh, need a lot of work in the professionalism category. Um, what, you know, you've been a fishing guide, you've been a hunting guide. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I haven't personally been on too many uh, guided trips. I'm trying to think if any. I feel like I recently did something though where it felt like it was kind of a guided trip. But no, you're totally right. I mean, I was lucky that I always worked for, um, or especially in my later years, a very tight, you know, well run outfit um, down there now. It's called uh, Vale Valley Anglers, run by John Cochran. And uh, he always ran a tight shift and kept, you know, his guides, you know, looking good and, and, you know, I think on a pretty top notch professional level and, you know, didn't allow them to do the kind of stuff that you're, that you're talking about. Um, yeah, for sure. I know even to this day, um, you know, I still float in the Vail Valley. I now have my own raft and, uh, just float a lot of friends and, and family and what have you. And it's definitely, uh, nice to see the professional guides out there and, you know, they show up in their shirts, you know, they're, they're dialed in and they, they look like pros and they are pros. And, you know, I think that goes a long way, whether you're guiding fishermen or guiding hunters, uh, your appearance, uh, and not talking about your physical, like, you know, are you, are you a good looking dude or a good looking chick, you know, or are you well kept? What I mean is, um, you know, just, just being, keeping your program tight. And, um, I find myself as, as when I'm guiding, I find myself uh, lacking sometimes and, you know, coming out all scraggly. And, you know, you, you got to tighten your program, especially if you want to have repeat business. And, um, you know, there's way more to guiding than just being good at whatever your craft is. You got to be able to relate to people. And sometimes that means, you know, sharpening up your appearance and cleaning your truck a little bit and not having to, you know, clear the seat off and, you know, you know, have the people shuffle their feet around a bunch of trash on your floorboard. So I think a lot of that goes a long ways. But yeah, Giannis, you and I, um, we fished a lot of miles down the river and chased a lot of fish and had a lot of great conversations. And, um, you know, a lot of those conversations were our love for hunting. And, um, you know, it's uh, Gene and I still talk about a lot of the things that uh, conversations that uh, would come up in our boat and um, those are always things that I'll always remember for sure. You, uh, you now are in Bozeman, Montana, uh, which is, you know, another fly fishing Mecca. Um, tell me about living in Bozeman and kind of, uh, how you like it there and how you see things different maybe than, than, uh, central Colorado where you were before. Um, I love Bozeman. It's, definitely great um i don't know anything about the or I, I should say i don't know anything more now than i knew when i visited bozeman to fish here maybe 10 or 15 years ago just because i'm just not quite as into the fly fishing scene as i once was although i did fish the 
Gallatin, I believe, um, a couple days last uh, late summer and uh, had some great fishing right there in the canyon. Um, caught some fish on Parachute Adams during a nice little BWO hatch. Um, but I know that there's, you know, I mean, Yellowstone is right here. There's so many good rivers right here. And I think as my girls get older and, you know, we'll, we'll pull out the fly rod when they're ready to whip that thing around and, um, you know, whatever, whatever kind of fishing they're into, I'm sure that's the kind of fishing I'll be into. But, uh, otherwise Bozeman, man, it's, um, you know, it's definitely the happening place for, it seems like for the little Western hunting industry niche, you know, we have mystery ranch here, Schnee's boots, um, Kennetrek boots, Sitka gear. Um, who else? Stone Glacier. Stone Glacier. Our buddy Brendan Burns from Kuyu lives here, so I get to see Brendan every now and then. We hang out and have some coffee. I see Randy Newberg around town, so it's it's kind of funny. Mark Seacat from Seacat Creative, you know, you see him on the street, so it's it's uh, it's pretty cool like that. Um, but I think I was telling it's, you the, the other day, my social circle is so small now because of my kids basically dictating my little my social schedule, you know? So I think I would have a whole different perspective if, uh, if I was here with just my wife. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I know how, um, I don't have kids, but I know how having kids and, you know, you work a lot and then you, when you're home, you want to be home. And so I can totally understand what you're saying. Uh, but it is like, you know, when you're in Bozeman, it's, it's kind of like walking down the street. It's kind of a who's who of, of the hunting world, uh, as far as the Western hunting world, at any given time, you could probably walk into a coffee shop there, uh, or, or place to get lunch and you could have, you know, seven or eight of the top, you know, guys in the country in, in the, you know, filming industry and what have you right there. So that's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I've been to Bozeman, uh, I was up there with Jason Harrison of Kuyu on his elk hunt and, um, it was a really neat town uh hopefully one of these days i can come and crash at your place and bring the boat and um come do some fishing out of your place and go go fish some of those rivers you you come up and do that and i'll knock the dust off my poles oh my gosh it it, the (laughs) last time you said that uh we were in jackson hole and you came you were i forget what you were doing you're on your way to a shoot or something going over to catch them or something and um you stopped in and guys, you want to talk about a beautiful cast. I get Giannis in the front of the boat and, and, uh, get to row him down a river. And, you know, probably, he probably hadn't fished for a couple years and it was like three casts and he's, you know, throwing 90 foot casts across the other side of the bank and doing a mend midair and catching fish on the run. It was, it was an unbelievable display of it's amazing when you row the boat and you have someone that can really, really cast um, and and put the fly right where it needs to be. Um, it just, in my mind, it makes your job as you know on the oars so much easier. But on on the other hand, if you know the guy can hit every spot, he also expects you to have the boat in exactly the right position. So it was. Uh, it was fun kind of getting to uh, row you instead of you rowing me. It was very awkward. 
It was, wasn't it? <laughs> Especially when I started barking out, telling you where to throw the fly. It just didn't seem right. Oh, um, well, I'm trying to think what else I can good good say about Bowlesman. Um, we love skiing at Bridger Bridger Basin is, or Bridger Bowl is where we're taking the kids skiing every weekend now, and it's way cool to be have a small little resort like that where. You don't have to take a bus from your car to get to the ski lift. You know, you, we just park and we walk right in. And um, it's Tell me what it's like to watch uh, Ina and Mabel just cruise down the slope. I mean, it's got to be just unbelievable to see that come to fruition. Oh, man. I mean, my wife was thinking that, you know, three, four years ago, she was thinking that she would never really ski again, you know, now that we entered this phase of children in our lives. But now that Ina's four and she's, you know, I don't want to say mastered, but cruising right down greens. And I think by the end of the season, we'll, we'll probably get down a blue run or two. Um, I mean, like I was telling you the other day, my wife spends half the day just kind of with tears in her eyes because she's like, not only is she happy that um, she's going to get to ski again someday, but yeah, watching your kids do that and so happy that, you know, they enjoy doing the stuff that you, you enjoy doing as well. So it's, yeah, it, it's awesome for sure. Um, the two-year-old though, she's not, she's just standing on her skis, no matter what you say about skiing or try to teach, it's in one ear and out of the other. So she, you just have, she's pretty, she enjoys going down the lift line and then looking up and waving at all the people that are going up the chairlift. So she's really not paying attention to what's coming at her as she's skiing down the hill. Um, but yeah, it's gotta be very rewarding to watch that. Oh man. It's, it's so much fun. That's cool. Um, you know, what if in let's say 10 or 10, 11, well, even maybe even sooner than that, what if the girls are like, I want to be a ski racer. What, what's your, what are you going to say to that? Uh, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, we talk about that a lot. I mean, it's a lot of that's going to come down to, you know, what we can afford. Uh, ski racing is definitely not a, uh, skiing in general, let alone ski racing is not a cheap activity. I think, you know, there's always scholarships and, you know, community programs that you can get them into, but, uh, it's a big time commitment too. Um, so, We'll have to, you know, play it by ear, but my plan is to whatever they are into to, you know, support and con- encourage them um, to do whatever they want, you know, within reason uh, to do whatever they're into. So, yeah, definitely. If they want to bash gates and go fast down the hill, then uh, I'll, I'll definitely support them and encourage them. Yeah, awesome. Uh Giannis, you are the producer of the Meat Eater television show, and um, I have to say I just watched, I got home from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, uh, and I had a couple of episodes taped uh, on my TV and watched the uh, Mule Deer episodes where you guys, you you and Ranella were with uh, Ryan Callahan and looks like you guys had an unbelievable hunt um and it was really cool to see steve who i know has wanted to shoot a big mule deer for a long long time i mean he said it on many many episodes and i believe i've watched every episode of the meat eater tv show and it got really intense and the look in his eye was something that was 
uh, a, a little different than I've seen on most all of the other shows. Um, it it seemed like he knew that that was his opportunity to to, to harvest a big buck, and um, that's usually not his. Uh, you know, that's usually not what he's after. But he always he makes no. Uh, you know, he, he he says flat out that he's been wanting a big buck and wanted to go on a big buck hunt and. The intensity level, it was one of the best episodes I've seen. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that as far as being the producer and uh, being on that hunt and how that shook out. Um, well, a couple of things that come to mind, you know, when I replay is, is one is just how how fast it all went down. Um, I mean, Ryan had told us that, like, you know, whatever, it's a good mule deer hunt. You know, we weren't. Like we were expecting to see deer and to see bucks, but we definitely weren't expecting to see, you know, the caliber of deer that, uh, that Steve shot. Um, so, you know, to have it happen so fast is kind of, you know, shocking. I mean, I think we had given ourselves like seven or eight days to hunt and, um, you know, we had packed in there with, you know, four or five days of food. And we did have one guy that was ready to run back to the, uh, trailhead to um restock on batteries for the cameras when we needed it but uh you know we were packed in there quite a ways and we were ready to you know kind of to dig in and you know hunt hard and then for that to happen you know so fast i think he killed that buck on the fourth morning of the hunt um which is uh you know i don't know just kind of unexpected but i think for it to happen you know in the back country out of a backpack it, it, we, you know, we couldn't have scripted it any better. Although I always try to write that kind of stuff when I do write the, the shows out prior to going. Um, I mean, it really was just, you know, just perfect, you know, backpack hunting and, uh, you know, lots of action. We saw the bear, um, beautiful, beautiful country. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was sweet. It was, yeah, sweet. Yeah, it was an awesome hunt for sure. Um, let's take a quick break here. And then I've got some more questions to ask you in regards to that hunt. At GoHunt.com, we are restoring the heritage of the old and constantly redefining the new. We stay focused and put our efforts into redefining the future of Western hunting. What makes us special? What makes us different? We are the new breed of hunter. We are the customers that we serve. We are the innovators and we are the future. Visit GoHunt.com insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code until February 28th to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. You know, Giannis, I really like the uh, chemistry uh, 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 when Steve is hunting with uh, Callahan and I got to meet Ryan uh, at the SCI show. Uh, I was just up there for a couple days in Las Vegas, and it was good to see him. And, you know, like I always say with Steve, um, Callahan seemed to be exactly the same 
in person as he was on TV. And I think that's so uh, cool to see. And it seems like the the chemistry there on that hunt with Callahan shooting his buck and, and going after a bear but ended up shooting his buck and then, and then Steve getting to shoot a big buck. Um, it was just kind of cool how it all went down. It was. It was. And there's definitely, you know, aside from um, – you know, you and Dar and, and Steve and, you know, a couple of my older hunting buddies from Colorado, you know, Ryan's right up there with, you know, people that you'd like to spend some time in the woods with. I mean, just a, you know, super positive guy to have around, never down and uh, a good hunter as well. You know, so we, we have always have a good time with Cal. Yeah, sure, sure. What, um, you know, as far as glassing and such, um, you've done a lot of glassing uh, with Dara and I and what have you. And w- what would you say, like, over the years of hunting with, you know, the meat eater crew and, and what have you? And how does, you know, Dara and I's, you know, go high and glass, 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 does that ever play into your hunts uh, with Steve? And if so, how does it? Oh, definitely. I mean, any anytime you're hunting Western, you know, more, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, even when I'm back East hunting turkeys, you know, in Wisconsin, you know, I'll try to find a high point. And if there's any sort of opening that gives me some distance to glass, like I will somehow, you know, whether it's the first thing in the morning or, or midday, I'll be on that point using my binoculars because there's just, you, you can't argue the fact that when you look with binoculars and let your eyes do the walking, you're going to end up seeing more game than if you're just cruising through the woods, you know, and it doesn't matter where you are. So we do as much of that as we possibly can. Um, I'm trying to think when I mean, we were antelope hunting in Wyoming this past fall, obviously a lot of spot stock there. Um, we went to British Columbia to look for grizzly bears. We also had goat tags, and we wanted to do a lot of sit up high in glass, but unfortunately, we were basically stuck in a cloud for nine days, and um, you just we weren't doing any kind of hunting really. Um, so yeah, and I think you know we've talked about it before. Both Steve and I kind of got the glassing bug really from you and Dar, and kind of were you know took t- took our glassing. To the next level, you know, meaning that like, you know, one, I didn't have a tripod, you know, before I started hunting with you guys and I started hunting with you, you know, got a tripod and brought my glassing to the next level um, and kind of happened for Steve at the same time. So we often sit around wondering, you know, how much game we missed all those years when we weren't, you know, doing the get up high and glass game. Um, but that being said, we definitely love are and I personally do love my still hunting and um sometimes you know in Colorado I mean you've seen that country where you know around uh where we used to fish it's it's just it's thicker a lot of times than just than the open country of Arizona or whatever it could just be a certain mountain range and when the way that you know it's you know put together but there's definitely large expanses of whether it's aspens with leaves on them or, um, you know, fir trees that you're just not going to glass into. And really the only way to, you know, go in there and, and hunt it is to go and still hunt it. And um, I definitely enjoy that because I just feel like it's a different skill set 
and I'm, I'm, may, I'm maybe just a little bit more tuned in, kind of involved in the hunt when I'm kind of doing that creepy crawly through the woods and really monitoring the wind and um, just that that little bit of unknown that I don't know that there's a you know that there could be an elk or a deer over the next ridge. That little bit of unknown is what maybe makes that just a little bit more exciting or a little bit more fun than say glassing something up and then I know it's over there and all I have to do is basically complete the stock, peek over the hill and you know my re- my reward or the goal is right there. It's you know I don't the whole stock I don't have to be on my tippy toes like I do if I happen to be still hunting that same you know, distance or whatever it might be that, and, and then that goal is, you know, either met or not met there at the end. You just don't know, but you kind of have to be, your mind has to be focused in a way where you're thinking that that goal is going to be met at any moment. Yeah. So you're kind of constantly on your game and you constantly have to be aware of what's going on. You know, I, I really enjoy getting up high and glassing, um, for a long period of time but, you know, you bring up a good point. And, and another way that I like to hunt as well is I just love to hike a ridgeline and, you know, creep out to a point and glass down in a basin for, you know, 30, 40. That's one thing I like about sheep hunting is sheep are usually pretty visible most of the whole day. They don't really hold up where you can't see them. So I actually move a lot more uh, sheep hunting than, say, I do coos deer hunting. And I love walking ridge lines where I can go out, look in one basin off one side, you know, glass down all below me, then go back up the ridge, top back. Now you're looking off in a completely different direction, off down off another point and kind of do that all day. And if I can make a big loop up a ridge line or go work way up a ridge and then walk my way back, um, you actually can cover a lot of country if you, you know, you move and you glass and you move and you glass, which I think is different from what you're talking about where you're like still hunting, you know, kind of through the aspens and, you know, you're, you're kind of coming up over a ridge and now you're looking into a new basin. But, um, I, I think, you know, covering country is important no matter what you're hunting. Um, and, I think that's part of the adventure of not knowing what's on the other side too. Do you feel that too, where you just want to explore and want to see what's out there? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part, uh, you know, to, to pulling off a good still hunt is being, is moving slow enough and not cause you, I mean now at GPS is it's like, even when you're still hunting a ridge and you're in a thick patch of timber, you can look at your GPS and know that within whatever it is, 300 yards, you could walk out and peek over the, you know, the, the ridge line and look into the open meadow or whatever it might be, you know? Um, so there's always that, uh, I guess that just, you know, you know, in the back of your head that you can do that. And it, it's hard to just to be patient enough to, to hunt through that, um, whatever patch of ground it is that you've chosen to hunt through. Um, I think the, I guess like the, the difference is kind of in the distance that you might encounter your inquiry, you know, cause I do the same haunt that you do all the time, just working a ridge and just like peeking down into little holes and whatever. And, you know, you hope, you know, you might catch a deer at 50 yards, but you could also glass them up at, you know, three or four or 500 yards, you know, down the hill somewhere. Um, in which case 
you know, you don't really have to be on your best behavior. You can just kind of peek over the ridge top, and if he's 400 yards away, you know, the chances are that they're not going to see you before you see them. But I think when you're in that tight kind of situation of, like, if I see anything, it's going to be almost within bow range kind of a still hunt, that's when – you know, it really takes the, the maximum level of, of skill for still hunting when, you know, because the wind's got to be right the whole time, too, because at 50 yards, if the way if you get a wisp of wind on your back, you know, pretty much everything out ahead of you for the next 100 yards just blew out of there. For sure. sure. All right. What is the fascination with these squirrels? <laughs> I mean, listening to you and Steve talk about it, it's like Dar and I talking about, you know, trophy coos deer or, uh, you know, I, I just got to hear this. What What is the deal? I mean, it, tell me about it. I got to hear more about this. Um, It's, I mean, for me, I can only speak for myself. I think Steve's got a whole different set of experiences with squirrels. I mean, he's done, done it for so much more, longer. I mean, he hunted squirrels growing up. I did not. My dad was strictly a pretty much a big game hunter. And so we, we never, I think I shot one rabbit, you know, before the age of 18. And um, I can't, even, I don't, I know for sure I didn't shoot any squirrels before I was, I think I shot my first squirrel at maybe the age of, you know, definitely past 30. Um, so in, in the last, uh, seven years, but it, it's a couple things. One, it's casual. Um, so you don't have to be, you know, act like on your best behavior and just like still hunting and like super, you know, cause you're not just looking for one deer. You, you know, you're trying to kill whatever, maybe it's four or five if the limit is, or maybe it's a uh, 10 squirrels in a day. So it's like, you can be casual out there and just be enjoying yourself for just what it is, you know, just being out there in the woods, like enjoying the sound of the leaves or the sunrise or whatever it might be. It's not like this weight of like, I got to fill my elk tag today kind of a feeling, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a little more relaxing, I guess. <laughs> so in other words, it's not the mentality of every squirrel. I got to get every squirrel. It's like, ah, that one, you know, he's running away. Okay. He's got the leg up on me. Yeah. Now listen, when I'm my brother-in-law and I go squirrel hunt, we definitely like are taking no prisoners. I mean, very (laughs) serious out there. And like when you let one go, like it's definitely like it's in the back of your head, how you kind of mess that one up and how you could do it better, you know? Um, so, you know, and I, I guess, you know, last but definitely not least is the um, the edibility of squirrels. Um, you know, they just get this bad rap as being tree rats. And the last squirrel that I ate, we we hunted our tails off and we killed two squirrels in two days. And a lot of people would get a chuckle out of that. And had I not been there doing it, I would have said, "You're you just suck at hunting if you're going to tell me that." But the fact is that they had a terrible mass year back in um, in the like mid southeast part of the country last year, and when I was there, it was cold, so the squirrels didn't have much to eat, and it was cold, so they were pretty much you know taking very long naps and only um, stirring, as they say, for a few minutes in the morning and a few minutes in the afternoon. Um, anyways. We quartered those suckers up, and I battered them and deep-fried them, and we tossed them in my brother-in-law's homemade um, 
so what do they call that stuff? Uh, sweet chili, sweet chili Thai or sweet chili sauce. And I mean, it was like the best, basically hot wings that you've ever had. I mean, it was just incredible. And um, I don't know what it is about that dark squirrel meat. You know, there's just a little bit more flavor. There's a little more fat in that meat maybe than uh, than a rabbit. And uh, I'm going squirrel hunting next weekend um, outside of Miles City. I'm hoping to uh, catch a few fox squirrels on the uh, Yellowstone River. And I'm actually going there to hunt rabbits. But I can tell you that I'm more excited about shooting a few squirrels than I am those bunny rabbits. Let's take a quick break, and I want to ask you what your uh, rifle of choice is. Yep. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in February 2016. Okay, so for the squirrel connoisseur, you and Steve travel all over the country for squirrels, which is I, I got to do it one of these times. I just it's just one of those things that I think I got to do it because I've never I've never squirrel hunted. So I, I'm you've got me intrigued. Um, what is the weapon of choice? Well, I guess the connoisseur is probably going to go with the 22 long rifle. Um, any you know rimfire would work. Um, if you shoot some of those speedier rimfires. Um, like a 17 or uh 22 mag if you don't shoot him in the head you're just going to have that much more meat damage and i mean it sounds funny on a squirrel but the meat damage thing is really why you don't why the connoisseur probably doesn't shoot him with a shotgun too often um or any small game for that matter that you don't have to shoot with a shotgun like a you know a bird that's being that's flying out in front of you but like yeah you shoot a squirrel with you know, number eight load out of a 12 gauge and you just got pellets all through your meat, you know, and it's just, it kind of defeats the purpose, you know, I mean, yeah, you're getting out there and hunting and you you get some meat, but like to pick all those pellets out and you got all that bloody, you know, shot up meat in there. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't do you too much good. So yeah, just a scope 22 long rifle. Uh, you can go iron sights, you know, to add a little challenge, um, but I'm not quite there yet. I'll let you know when I switch over to iron sights. So, so a squirrel is standing up on a limb, and you've got him dead to rights, and you're steady as can be. You shoot him in the head. Is that is that where yeah. we're aiming? Or okay, yeah. so head sh- head shots are king. Head shots, definitely. So you sh- aim for the head, and if you hit him, you kill him. If not, I would think body, but that's where all your meat is, right? 
Yeah, and you know the 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 shoulders or front half of them is pretty small, so you know I'm certainly not usually not going to pass on a shot um, where I can hit them in the you know in the front half of the body. I definitely won't shoot them in the hams. Um, it's funny to call them hams, <laughs> a little squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely won't do that. But if I have a shot on the front half, um, I'll, I'll definitely you know just you know try to try to hit him in the shoulder. <clears throat> but um, nice. yeah, again, you're just, you know, you're losing me. I want to talk to you a little bit about your coos deer hunt in Mexico. Um, you uh, recently shot a coos deer and a uh, couple javelina. And uh, what were your experiences like? How was the rut? What did you notice out there? Man, it was so much fun you know we got to hunt a ranch that i had guided on with you i think was it two or three years ago i think it must have been three years ago yeah so it was really nice to go back and see some country for the second time because i feel like the first time you go there it's like it's cool it's new but when you leave you're like man i want to see that ridge again or i want to see that basin again and so it was nice to um scratch that itch um and what what it, you know I ended up what was interesting I glassed a lot with my eights and I just on the way down there uh, in the week prior to going down I listened to that uh, podcast with Gino Volcati and he was talking about how his go-to binocular was the ten by fifties I think for for glassing up coos deer and um, I knew I was going to bring down twelves and I thought well tens and twelves you know, there's no reason to do that. So I'll bring down eights and twelves and, you know, just the difference in that ultra crispness that you get out of a lower power, even though the field of view was just, it was super wide and yes, it's not as magnified, but I found that I was able to just really let those binoculars sit basically and just let my eyes kind of wander through the sight picture. And because that sight picture was so just like, just uber clear and crisp, you know, I've, like I ended up using them a lot and I felt like, I don't know if I would have found any more or less deer, you know, just sticking with the twelves all the time. But I felt like out to that, you know, probably near 2000 yard mark, I felt like I wasn't missing anything with my eights, you know, and if I did see anything that looked out of the ordinary, you know, I always could put up my twelves or, or just go right to my spot and scope. So when you're looking at a hillside with your eights, Giannis, and let's say it's first light and you're looking, um, you know, are, are, you, are you swimming around in your binos with your eyes or are you panning aggressively across, you know, sweeping across the ridges or kind of what's your plan of attack? How do you, how do you approach it when you're, when you're panning, say, first 30 minutes of light? Yeah, well, you know, another reason I like those eights and I feel like it's so easy to do if you just put the twelves up right off the bat is that and especially with coos deer it's like you just until you like have walked up on a hundred of them like you have I have to walk up on 99 more of them to go oh that's right they only weigh a hundred pounds like these are very very small animals and like you just, when you're looking for them, even when you see them, you think you're looking for a bigger animal and they're just not that big. So even at 300 yards, like right down below you, because we're always perched on some, you know, little knob, rock, outcropping, whatever it is. And it's so easy 
to not to just basically miss everything from zero to 600 and just start glassing at 600 and beyond. And that's what I always try to remember. It's kind of like when you show up at the river, it's like the good angler always fishes that little bank seam first and picks off a fish or two before he goes and puts his feet in the water and just goes right for the big main bubbly seam. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what I need to do. You know, at that first like light when it's like, it's almost too dark to glass at 1500 yards. I just need to hammer away at 600 because it's like, you know, there's no reason there couldn't be the buck of your dream standing at 600 versus at 1600. Um, but yeah, with the eights, my eyes were definitely just moving more in the binos. And I try to just constantly remind myself, take my hands off my binoculars. Don't move your binoculars. Just let them sit there and let that hillside breathe and let that, let the deer make a movement that you can see, you know, cause it's like no matter how many times I glass over, that hill, if that deer is motionless, he's 10 times harder to pick up than if he happens to twitch his ear or move his head or, you know, whatever it might be. That little bit of movement, especially for a, you know, rookie coos deer hunter like myself, that's what, you know, 9 out of 10 deer, or probably more, probably 99 out of 100 deer that I'm glassing up it's because they moved, you know, I think you and Darglass up a lot more coos deer that are, you know, completely motionless. And, um, that's just something that comes with, you know, time and experience behind the glass. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to constantly remind myself not to move my binoculars. Um, once I do, um, I go both directions. I'll pan and then I'll go over the same hill going, um, up and down and just kind of tilt, you know, through the hill, um, you know. You know, I think you bring up a good point there, and I think it needs to be said that, you know, letting your binos kind of do the do the walking for you, I think a mistake that sometimes a lot of people make is they're constantly touching their binos, and that, one of the reasons why I like a pan head over a pistol grip t- style head is I feel like the pan is a lot smoother and and at any given time when your binos are moving you're going to miss the ear flick you're going to miss uh those deer moving and doing what deer do and so you know Giannis is talking about not touching your tripod I know at times I set my panning adapter I set I set my settings up on my tripod head so light that literally I can just have my eyes in there and literally not even touch it with my hands and just move it back and forth side to side with with the, you know, the bridge of my nose. And, you know, I think when I'm sitting there for say 45 minutes and I've panning great country and I'm not seeing deer, I usually tell myself, slow down, slow down. And it's amazing how usually within a couple minutes of telling myself, slow down, boom, I pick up a deer that was standing there the whole time and I was just moving too fast. Now, with that being said, Dar and I both, we love to, you know, power glass and really, you know, pan back and forth aggressively. Um, and, you know, there are times for that, I think. But certainly, if you're not seeing deer, a tip I can give is slow down, get your, you know, like you said, get your hands off your binos and let your eyes 
really like get into the glass and and really soak up everything that you're looking at there. And when you get in that zone, you'll see a bird kind of flick off, you know, off a tree and bounce down on the ground, or you'll see a little rabbit way off, you know, mile off, you yep. see a rabbit move and you're like, what is that? Oh, it's a rabbit. And And once you kind of get in that mode, that's when you start picking up those you know, those, those bucks that are kind of shaking their head that are bedded in the bush or, you know, a doe's ear flicking or a tail or, or what have you. And I, that's what I love about coos deer, though, is they are a challenge at times to see. Um, and even when they're standing in the wide open, sometimes they just blend in. If they don't move, it's, they're hard to see. Oh, man. And we walked through so much grass that was like four to six feet tall. And when that little hundred pound deer is in that grass, that's coming up to my chin. I'm sorry. You're just not going to see that thing, you know? Um, yeah. So it, this year it seemed like there was a lot of vegetation too. I'm not sure how it was where you guys were at, but I mean, it, when they bedded down, it was, you know, it was tough to see them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Giannis, um, what what kind of turkey plans? Uh, I know you've been bitten by the turkey bug, uh, like like I've been infected with. Um, you got any specific turkey plans, or is this going to be a big year for you on turkeys, or you got other things going on? Um, we are going with the meat eater crew. Uh, I believe it's still uh, pending, but uh, a uh, turkey hunt in Oregon and. Um, my plan as uh, the producer of a hunting show is to, if I can afford it, is to usually have a tag in my pocket just in case the host uh, gets it done, you know, with time to spare. Um, and especially with, a, you know, a turkey hunt, it's, we all know that you can, you know, a lot of times you can, if I have a day left, I figure it's worth me having a tag in my pocket for that one hunt because, it, you know, it just might happen, especially after hunting it for three or four days and, hopefully knowing kind of what's going on. But my main uh, turkey hunt plan is to hunt Montana for the first time this year, probably hunt out out east um, in, uh, you know, the big wide expanses of Custer National Forest and uh, probably first week of May to uh, pack up the whole family um, and go out there and do some camping. So I think I need to find a, another a turkey hunter that wants to come along so that uh if i take my wife out in the morning someone can stay back and camp with the uh with the while the kids are still sleeping because i don't with one kid with the oldest i think i could probably still call in and kill a turkey but with the two of them together um that's a uh that's a tall order <laughs> <laughs> they better run in fast right <laughs> yeah totally i've heard that sometimes you can get lucky out there in eastern montana and get some pretty uh agreeable birds but um yeah man i'm looking for you know i'm bummed i'm missing my eastern uh turkey hunt probably this year um uh just because i love hunting them in those thicker woods i feel like you really have to be on your turkey a game back east because out even where i used to hunt in nebraska the country's open enough where you can glass up birds and if you're a sneaky kind of a hunter you can usually you know we call bushwhack them and basically you know do the loop on them you don't have to worry about the wind 
and you peek over the ridge and you got your turkey at you know within range of your shotgun and you you kill your bird back east because of the crunchiness of the leaves and the thickness of the woods and especially if the green foliage you know if like the the new growth of the year is kind of coming in it just gets thick and it's noisy and <clears throat> you're not going to do any of that you know bushwhacking type stuff that's not true if you're if you have access to ag properties where you have agricultural lands um you know you probably have birds that are working you know hitting the fields and then you can cut them off you know as they're making it back to the woods where we hunt we have none of that it's just all big hardwoods um so i enjoy the challenge of that so i'm a little bummed i'm missing it but I, it's i'm gonna more than make up for it by you know hopefully getting my oldest to sit next to me and get a couple turkey encounters um and what i'm doing this year is I'm going to leave, I'm going to try to force myself to leave my diaphragms behind. And my dad gave me a new box call for my birthday last year. It's a paddle uh, call um, made by Tony Corino. I believe, sorry if I mispronounce your name, Tony, but it's Q-U-A-R-I-N-O, Corino, Corino. Um but beautiful, beautiful call. He's out of South Carolina. It sounds wicked good. And um, the paddle call, is basically, it's like a long version of a box call. And there's no spring between the lid and the box. And so you're basically just letting the, the weight of the, the uh, lid you know, do, make the friction. You know, there's no spring in there. So I've been practicing with that. My goal is to do all my calling with that box call and just really try to, um, you know, become a master of that call so that, you know, I trust it every time I pull it out. I love box calls. So I'm curious to see how you do. And, um, let's take a quick break here. And I got one more topic I want to talk to you about and, uh, we'll get to it after the break. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Giannis, um, there's this whole thing out there with hunters, and I don't quite know what exactly to think about it. 
and it's you know I guess it's controversial I'm not exactly sure but it's it's this whole concept of you know never apologize for being a hunter you know you're just wrong our way is right um you know while I I don't apologize for being a hunter um I I I just think there's some slam it in your face mentality out there that I I just don't think does us any good as 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 hunters and I don't quite know what to think about it but it you know while there's this whole group which is fantastic uh that's out there there's like this whole fitness craze and there's this whole kind of macho man, you know, muscles and the whole thing and getting fit. That's all great. But then kind of with that almost there's this, you know, you know, tough guy ego, you know, knock him in the dirt, you know, like I don't know if it's disrespectful, but I see some of this stuff on social media and, you know, I, I'm not ashamed at all of being a hunter, but you know, this, you know, these t-shirts never apologize for being a hunter. And, you know, I just, man, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with it because it's, I, I don't know. I just can't really get my arms around the whole macho scene of, of hunting where, you know, it's great to be fit and it's great to be strong and it's great to be, you know, passionate about what you do. But at the point where we're turning people that aren't even anti-hunters, just people that don't hunt, where we're just completely kind of looking like buffoons, I just, I'm wrestling with this. You got any thoughts on that? No, man, definitely. Um, I, I, I'm not a 100% sure if the fitness craze in hunting um, crosses over to some of the negative, uh, never apologize for being a hunter rhetoric that we see out there if those two really blend or not i mean i'm sure there are you know people from from both groups or they that fall into both of those groups um i myself personally relate a lot to people that like to get in shape for hunting it's one of the biggest reasons that i run and do a little bit of the lifting that i do um, that I go to yoga class. It's so that I can, when I hit the woods, that I am in tip-top shape out there. Um, I don't really do many team sports or anything like that anymore. So really, I mean, I stay in shape because it's it's good for me. Um, it's much better to pack 190 pounds around every day than 210, you know. But um, so that being said, you know, I, I definitely am into being in shape for the sake of hunting. Um, but yeah, the never apologize for being a hunter thing. Um, my thoughts on that are that it's just like, it, it, and I'm not saying that hunting is a sport, but in team sports, we have things called like unsportsmanlike conduct. And it's a gray line, you know? Uh, I mean, it's what the referee sees or not. And, um, you know, like Aldo Leopold said, it's like one of the great things about hunting is that, you know, when you're out there by yourself doing it, there is no audience and there is no referee, you know, watching what you do. It is your own personal ethics and your 
little ego and conscience inside of you that you have to answer to. And that's it. You know, that's that's the only person that's really governing your, you know, or the or whatever referee that's governing your actions out there. Um, so in, no matter whatever we do in life, there is a um, right or wrong good or bad way to do it. And there's there, um, sometimes there are very strict rules and sometimes they're not. And in hunting, there just really aren't these, you know, ethics rules. Um, and for me, it comes around to like, there's a lot of stuff that's legal in hunting that I don't necessarily agree with. And I think everybody should, you know, follow the rules and do what's legal and, don't go poaching and killing extra animals. Um, but even though it's legal, doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be viewed by other people as normal or the right thing to do or whatever. So my take on it is never apologize for being a hunter, but do whatever you're going to do. I, I don't care. I agree with everybody doing what they want to do when they go hunting, as long as it's within the the rules and the laws of whatever state or country they're hunting in. But if you think that just because you can shoot 10 rounds into an animal when you might not need to, but you decide to shoot 10 rounds into it and put a bunch of lead in the air and just shoot this animal up. And then you're going to share that with the general non-hunting public. I'm not saying anti-hunters. I'm just saying non-hunting public, which is like great mass of our um, greater populace here in the country. Like 80% of the people are non-hunters. They're not swayed pro or con. They're just non-hunters. But if you think that sharing shooting an animal 10 times just for the sake of putting lead into it is going to sway those people to be pro hunting. I think you're high. And again, I'm not against you doing it because it's legal, but it is not helping the cause. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I just, I just think we've got a, you know, we've got to be professional and, and classy and, 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 you know, I, I think, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, I don't know. There's a whole trend out there that it's, you know, slam it in their face. I don't care if they don't like it, you know, let's just do it anyway. And here, how about this? And, you know, you show another bloody picture or something. And it's like, what are we trying to do? I mean, are you just trying to just infuriate the other side or you trying to take people in the middle and turn them against us so you know i think we all have to kind of look at the photos and stuff that in the videos that we release and say you know is this done in taste is this done in color and you know i i, I think there's people that are like just show the kill shot you know let's see them you know let's see the blood not and it's like you know okay i i mean i get it i you know but it it just kind of bothers me and I think that people need to be a little more sensitive uh just to 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 the way it looks to people that are non-hunters and uh yeah I just wanted to get your take on it so I appreciate that
Yeah, it's definitely a, um, I think it's just as big of a topic as it is, it's as important that we just discuss it and we get bright minds together discussing it and talking about it. And just, I don't know, personally, I, I love just gaining knowledge and <clears throat> thinking about deep thoughts and trying to figure this stuff out and how it relates to me and how it's going to relate to my family come down the line. And it's just healthy to talk about it. And, um, and some people want to get mad when we even just bring up this conversation. And, um, so I applaud you for, you know, bringing it up and I hope that you, you know, ask future podcast guests, um, you know, the same question, you know, to get everybody's take on it. For sure. For sure, buddy. Um, it's been awesome having you on tonight. Um, what's up with the hunt to eat, uh, t-shirts. I hear we got some new, uh, some new prints out there, a California shirts out there. I hear with a, with a pig on it. We do. We do have a California hunt. hunt <laughs> I saw it on Facebook tonight and it had like a hundred and something thousand views or something. Uh, Joe Rogan had it on. I know he's got Cam Cam Haynes on his uh, podcast today. And um, what's the story? Yeah, many, to eat. many thanks to Joe and and Cam um, for uh, giving us a shout out there. Um, you know, all that stuff helps so much that free advertising. Um, but yeah, it's funny because it, to me it was such a perfect fit because the California flag has a grizzly bear on it. Brown, brown bear, whatever you want to call it. Um, so to switch it out with a brown wild boar, it's it, I, I like that style because when someone sees that shirt from like 20 feet away, they think you're just wearing like a California flag T-shirt. You know, it's very nondescript. But you get closer and you're like, oh no, that's a that's actually a wild boar on your T-shirt, and your shirt says Hunty California. Like that's kind of cool. So. I was really into it, but I found that a lot of Californians are like, really? A pig? You couldn't have given this like a deer or an elk or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I didn't bum out too many people. And, um, you know, we're already talking about doing another uh, California shirt because although they have a small percentage of their populace is hunters, um, there's a ton of people that live in California and thus, even though it's a small percentage, they have um, a lot of hunters with um, a lot of voices, and they've been emailing us. So we're uh, we're already thinking about a um, another Cali shirt. But I'm real excited because I'm hoping in the next two weeks we're gonna have a uh, turkey hunting T-shirt. Nice. Um, yeah, which uh, which ought to be just in time to get everybody fired up for turkey season. Um, I know I'm fired up. So hunt to eat. Are we talking? What's the website address? With is it with the number two or T O? It's not. It's with T O. But um, if you type in H U N T numeral two E A T, you should also be directed to our website. Um, so the real website is H U N T T O eat. Dot com and you can also type in h n t the number two uh eat dot com yep both yep it w and you're also or, on or facebook right or h u n t numeral two e a t that works as well um 
Our Instagram handle is HNT numeral two EAT hunt to eat, just like on our license plate t-shirts. Um, and then Facebook is just hunt to eat, uh, without the numeral. Nice. And sales are going well. Yeah. You know, um, it's like just when the fun little, uh, project kind of turns into work kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Renella, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Many thanks to Steve, but you know, like I said, Joe Rogan and, and, uh, you, um, you know, a lot of people have been uh, a great help, you know, getting, getting the word out about our shirts and helping us sell them. So we appreciate all of it. And, uh, hopefully we can give back here soon enough. Right on. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, what do you, what do you got going for turkeys? Buddy, it's, I'm already starting to strut and gobble around this house and Gene's like, man, I'm so glad you didn't go to the NWTF convention because at least I get another, maybe another week or 10 days before you get the turkey calls out. Uh, hmm. Dar and I are headed to Mexico here in a few days to look at some uh, Gould's turkey properties and some different uh, coos deer properties, some new stuff, but uh, uh, we've got a little uh, place over in New Mexico that I leased this year um, that I'm going to try out and uh, see how it is for turkeys and um, probably not going to go to California due to uh, just our our place over there. It seems like the bird numbers have dropped a little bit, so we're going to give it a little bit of a rest. Uh, and my nephew, he now lives here in Arizona, and my other nephew, Will, is in Alabama at school. So probably not going to start off the year in Cali, but um, got uh, a, a bunch of Arizona hunts. Uh, fortunate to be guiding the uh, the uh, auction Gould's tag hunter uh, uh, that that uh, paid great money for the tag for it goes right back on the ground for our Goulds here and for our turkeys here in the state of Arizona and I'm uh, gonna head up uh, to the White Mountain uh, with with some friends uh, like usual and um, uh, also gonna head down to Mexico I've got uh, a slug of hunters there uh, between uh, the first two weeks of May. So I think we've got about 20 birds, uh, uh, 20 birds uh, already uh, signed up for, and uh, we're going to be hunting a bunch of different properties for Goulds uh, down in Mexico, which is always just uh, one of the highlights of my year. So um, definitely ready for turkey season to get going here and. Uh, I haven't got my calls out yet, but I was definitely watching some of the videos from the NWTF convention that just happened this weekend, and uh, the calls are going to be getting out here pretty soon and dust them off a little bit, and uh, excited. Turkey season is always one of my favorite seasons of the year, and uh, I'm sure this year is going to be a, a great year. You know, we've had good moisture, so I'm sure our hatches are good, and um, just, you know, I can't wait to... Uh, spend April and, and May turkey hunting. That's kind of what I have on the plan. It's pretty much going to be turkey hunting pretty much all of April and, and all of May. So it should be exciting. Sounds, sounds tough. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And <laughs> then I got to get some fishing in, uh, this, this summer. So, um, yeah, life is good. And, uh, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I also want to commend you for the job you do producing the Meat Eater Show. Uh, You and Steve do a phenomenal job. And then with the podcast, I know you produce the podcast as well. And 
Um, I enjoy that, and I want to encourage my listeners, if uh, if you enjoy my podcast, uh, listen to the Meat Eater podcast as well. Those guys do a great job, and uh, you're a dear friend, buddy, and I look forward to seeing you again here down the road uh, whenever that might be, and uh, wish you the best, you and the girls the best, and uh, God bless you till I see you next time. Okay, buddy? Thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure. All right, buddy. Take care.